0: You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, this is Robert Wright. Fourteen years ago, I co-founded Blogging Heads TV, which produces the podcast you're about to hear. And I'd like to ask you for some help. Blogging Heads is an independent podcast network that presents a diversity of views, including some that are well outside the mainstream, and provides a place for civil discussion between people who disagree with each other. We think this is very important at a time when political polarization is a famously big problem, and a lot of podcasts, with all due respect, sound like ideological echo chambers. If you want to help support our mission, you can make a donation by going to patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n slash nonzerofoundation. That's patreo dot N-O-N-Z-E-R-O Foundation. The Non-Zero Foundation is the nonprofit I run that operates Bloggingheads TV and also operates Meaning of Life TV and puts out the Non-Zero newsletter. And by the way, you can get that newsletter for free by going to nonzero.org and subscribing. Now, if you don't feel like supporting our endeavors financially, we of course encourage other forms of support like rating and reviewing our podcasts on iTunes or on the podcast app of your choice, or standing on street corners singing our praises, or whatever. In any event, thanks for listening.
1: Okay, here we go. Hello there, Coleman. How are you? Doing well, thanks. How are you, Glenn? I'm doing well. I am, indeed, Glenn Lowry. Uh, this is the Glenn Show at bloggingheads.tv, brought to you courtesy of the Watson Institute for International and Public Affairs at Brown, uh, who are my employer who sponsored the Glenn Show. And it's my pleasure uh, to be talking with Coleman Cruz Hughes, who is uh, a, uh, in his uh, last year of study at Columbia University, uh, working toward a BA in philosophy, uh, and is a writer, a frequent contributor at quillette.com, that's Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.com, a webzine, uh, that's at the cutting edge uh, in terms of uh, uh, looking into um, important and controversial questions of uh, race and gender and inequality and social policy and whatnot uh, nowadays. Uh, so, Coleman, welcome to The Glenn Show. Glad to be here again. The reason I asked you on the show is I had uh, come across your uh, latest uh, piece in Quillette, uh, The Case for Black Optimism, uh, and I was intrigued by it. Uh, So I I wanted to hear from the author, uh, since I don't feel all that optimistic these days. What am I missing? Tell us about that piece and what what you're arguing and uh, what what motivated you to to write it. Well, what motivated
2: me to write it is that I'm a fan of the very small but uh, growing genre of literature that um, depicts the massive progress that humans have made, that societies have made in the past, uh, you know, several hundred years or several thousand years. Uh, Steven Pinker is a, is a great example of this. He has books documenting the decline of violence and enlightenment now, which I, I think you, you've probably talked about on the show at some point, um, depicting progress humans have made in terms of health, wealth, happiness, all of the, uh, sort of indicators of well being that we care about. And, um, when I stumbled across these facts, they were shocking to me and they're shocking to many people. Uh, there are other books by Hans Rosling called fact, factfulness, uh, Greg Greg Easterling has a book called Easterlin Easterlin. Yeah. It's better than it looks. In any case, there's a genre that's meant to essentially correct for what is a negativity bias, uh, in our own psychology, that bad events are more salient than good events. The news reports, uh, you, you, there, there will always be enough bad events to, to watch on the six o'clock news. So you won't, you won't be aware of really great trend lines in terms of homicide. If you're seeing the same number of homicides on the news every night, right? It could be going down by an order, order of magnitude and you might not be aware. And that's true across the board, uh, for many of these, these things. So, you know, I, I was aware of this literature. Uh, but I was also writing about race and racial inequality. And if there's one topic that doesn't seem to admit of optimism, whether you're a conservative thinker or, or a progressive thinker, it's racial inequality. The whole tone of the conversation is doom and gloom, right? If you're on the left, the, the, the sorry state of Black America is, is a consequence of systemic racism and white supremacy uh, and the legacy of slavery. Uh, if you're on the right, it it might be you know Republicans have a tendency to de- to to blame Democrat policies uh, for for the what they perceive to be this sort of downtrodden state. Um, you know, Trump famously blamed the Clintons for you know for the reason why black people are you know quote unquote have no jobs, your schools are no good, um, or it could you know as I've mentioned before on this show, there are cultural reasons why black people may not be doing as well as white people on these indicators. And, you know, um, without commenting on any of these various explanations in this piece, I wanted to sort of intervene in that debate, not, not in favor of either side necessarily, but to document the massive progress that has been made on on, along various dimensions that most people I talk to just don't know about. So I, I, I talked about incarceration, health, education, upward mobility. Uh, there, there are some shocking facts. I mean, the, the most shocking one to me was was incarceration data. You know, if, if you pay attention to this debate about mass incarceration, um, you know, the, the, the tone you get is very gloomy. Uh, and there are reasons for that, of course. I mean, we, we incarcerate more, you know, a higher number of people per capita than any nation on earth, and Black people are massively overrepresented, et cetera. Uh, at the same time, the incarceration rate for Black men on the whole has declined by 34% since 2001, but uh, w- which actually understates progress because that decline has been disproportionately borne out by the youngest generation. So uh, it's gone down 56% uh, and 60% for black men age 25 to 29, age 20 to 24. And, and the largest decline is 72% for From black what to men. what?
1: And and over what period again? Uh, uh, just this, is from,
2: this is from 2001 to 2017, the incarceration rate for black men age 25 to 29 declined by 56%. Yeah.
1: From what to what? I assume we're uh, about numbers in prison per 100,000 yeah, 100, 100, population
2: per 100,000. Um, I, I, could, I could get it up right now if, if you want to wait. Okay. I'm going to take your word for it. No, I, you,
1: you know, know it's, not, it's, it's, not, just, it's not a
2: fact check. I just thought you might yeah, know. This is just from Bureau of justice statistics. They release the stats every year. Um, in any case, um, you know, 72% drop in the incarceration rate for black men age 18 and 19. That's, that's very good news, I think. Um, and it's, it's not widely known. Uh, so I, you know, I look at that, I look at health outcomes, fewer, fewer black people are dying from heart disease, cancer, um, diabetes, You know, the, the rate of death for heart disease for black people, 65 and over dropped 43% from 1999 to 2005. Um, at uh, ed- education more black people are getting bachelor 's degrees more black people are getting master 's degrees um, uh, associates degrees um, those the numbers for master 's degrees and associates degrees have more than doubled since nineteen ninety nine and of course some of that is just a- accounted for by population growth but not not most not even a substantial amount um so to to the to to what extent that you know counts as progress, what what the driving forces behind those, i I remain agnostic about in the piece because I think it's a very complicated question. Um, and then you know finally I talk about upward mobility. Uh, there's a famous study by Raj Chetty, the economist last year, which found that black women conditional on parental income go on to earn slightly more than white women. Uh, and uh and then there's also Federal Reserve data showing that over 60% of blacks say that they're doing better financially than their parents, which is slightly higher percentage than Hispanics and whites who say the same. Um, my point there is uh, I, I, I use all these data points to make really two points. The first is that all of this data can be made to look less optimistic than it is by instead of comparing black people today to black people yesterday, comparing black people at both times to white people at both times. The the problem of course, is that white people aren't standing still, right? They're, they're a moving, uh, population, right? So if they're progressing and black people are progressing, then if you look at the gaps at both times, you can end up seeing stagnation where you should be seeing progress. Um, so, that's one point to make. Another point to make is our habit of, of comparing white people to black people rather than to black people today to black people yesterday uh, seems to me both conceptually flawed and harmful for the social fabric of a multi-ethnic society. So conceptually flawed, flawed I mean, if we're comparing all black people to all white people, um, which is commonly done, you know, we were not accounting for the fact that white people are on average 10 years older. Rather, the median age of the, of, of white Americans is 10 years higher than the median age of black Americans. Um, and people don't even hold c- that constant when they're comparing when they're talking about black people being 14% of the population, but X percentage of people in prison are having X amount of the wealth. So, so there's that, which is admittedly a kind of small empirical quibble, but it, it's telling that people don't do the, the, the types of things that a freshman statistics uh, major would be called upon to do. Um, but the larger conceptual flaw with comparing whites to blacks is that it treats American uh, American society and American history as if it were a kind of simple science experiment where you have two groups uh, and and you just change one variable between the two groups so that any, any difference between the two groups can be attributed to that one variable, right? And that variable being institutional racism. Um, so, Uh, I I think that's a very oversimplified paradigm. And yet it is the paradigm that's implicit in the comparison of black metrics to white metrics rather than to black metrics at an earlier time. You know, we don't do this. If we ask have white Americans made progress in the past 20 years, we don't compare their gaps with Asians at both periods and times. We we tend to compare them today to them yesterday. Uh, So I'm arguing we should do that not only because it's conceptually flawed to do the opposite, but because it also stokes resentments where resentments need not be stoked. So.
1: Okay. So I think of a couple of ways. If I were to channel a uh, person, um, who is, uh, disinclined to get on your optimism, uh, train, I can think of a couple of lines of attack. One of them would be your cherry picking, um, I'm going to fact check your statistics, but let me take them as a fact for the time being. Uh, You can find a certain set of areas. Yes, incarceration rates may be down for African-Americans, but they were stratospherically high, and they're still vastly too high, and they're higher than whites. You don't like me comparing whites to blacks. Let me come to that in a moment. Uh, But you're cherry picking. I mean, there are a lot of other indicators that you didn't mention that don't necessarily go in that direction. Um. How's the wealth gap doing? Oh, we could have a whole show about the wealth gap, I suppose. Uh, what about out of wedlock birth rates? Uh, how's the Black family? Is it in better shape or worse shape than it was 30 or 40 or 50 years ago? Um, what about uh, uh, school discipline rates? Are uh, They're pretty high. Are they down or up? I don't know if we have data on the trend line there. But um, uh, what about test scores? Uh, what about uh, cognitive development academic achievement? Um, you know, so uh, you say uh, health and longevity. You cherry-picked a couple of areas. I'm not an expert on public health, but I dare say that it wouldn't be hard to find other areas in which uh, the numbers went in uh, the opposite uh, direction. Uh, isn't your uh, trumpeting of optimism more a uh, political than it is a demographic, demographic stance? Um, aren't you trying to say, in so many words, that... Uh, uh, what you just got through saying at the end of your of your opening statement, which was that uh, structural racism is not something that we need to be talking about. And uh, black people shouldn't be too aggressive in pressing the system for redress because that's inconsistent with racial harmony in the age of Donald J. Trump. Uh, so you're cherry picking. Uh, so that would be one line of attack. I want you to respond to it. Let me just say briefly, what another line of attack might be. What do you mean a conceptual problem? Uh, You want us to say uh, blacks are better off in the year 2019 than they were in the year 1969. Uh, Let me just stipulate that that's true. That's not what I'm talking about when I compare African-Americans to whites in in, uh, 1969 or in 2019. What I'm talking about is the disparity in the way in which the system or the structures treat black people and white people is perfectly Uh, legitimate to make those comparisons. No, I'm not assuming that there's just a single variable that accounts for the difference. But I am saying, uh, to the extent, for example, that um, America's criminal justice policies become more benign and less punitive, I am saying that even in the face of such improvements, the uh, consequences for African Americans and for whites have been different. Uh, the reason I compare African-Americans to whites is because there's information in that comparison about the differential treatment of African-Americans and whites. No, that comparison doesn't tell me exactly uh, what the nature of that differential treatment is. But in broad terms, monitoring the relative status of blacks compared to whites is a pretty good way of uh, gauging um, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the larger uh, differences in opportunities for people in those two groups. So I have two broad lines of, uh, of potential rebuttal. One of them is that you're cherry picking. It's not a comprehensive assessment. You mentioned Steven Pinker, uh, the better angels of our nature and uh, Enlightenment Now. Uh, I'm sure that he's got, uh, you know, dozens upon dozens of different indicators that are all pointing more or less in the same direction. Uh, you've cherry picked a few. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, we're going to compare blacks to whites. How else am I going to know whether or not racial uh, equality of treatment has been obtained?
2: OK, so on the first count, um, you know, obviously in a, in a 2000 word piece, I'm not giving a comprehensive assessment of every possible dimension of well-being. Uh, I'm looking at um, big Important indicators of well-being that people care about. How many black people are in prison? What are the odds that a young black man is in prison? That's more than halved since I was in kindergarten. That's huge. Um, the, with regard to the, you know, you know, there might be other indicators. It, you know, I, I'm also not a health uh, um, uh, expert, right? But, you know, black, black women are living three and a half years longer on average than they were when I, when I was a kid black men are living three years longer. Those are pretty impressive gains in, in this space of life expectancy. Uh, and and I would actually I mean I, I've I've looked at the CDC mortality data for for every major disease at this point. And for black people they're actually really all going in the right direction. That's not that that just over the past two years that's begun to be not true, especially for whites. But uh, in the big picture health which is which is an, an incredibly important dimension of well being it's re, it really is all going in the right direction homicide and homicide obviously over the past twenty years has been going in the right direction, but in the past say three uh, we witnessed some something of an uptick that some have attributed to the quote unquote ferguson effect i don't have a strong opinion on on the cause, but what I will note is that when you see a trend line for decades going in the right direction and you see a slight uptick, it's, it's inconsistent to look at the total trend line and be a
1: pessimist rather than an optimist. Right? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Why? level, the level is so high. I'm talking about homicide now specifically. Oh, okay, okay. Even okay. if the trend line goes, and I'm sure if you compare the worst of the late 80s and early 90s to today, it's down, but uh, over the long historical, um, uh, Timeframe—it's very high, um, and uh, you, I mean, you—you you want to be optimistic because the uh, because the homicide rate amongst African Americans is lower in 2019 than it was in 1990. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, when in my, fact, my, it's my the leading of, cause, et cetera.
2: Yeah, well, my view optimism is a stance about what we're likely to see in the near and medium term, in the future, whether things are going to stagnate, get worse. Or get much better. Um, I, I would cautiously predict that on almost any important dimension you could name that we're likely to see continued improvement. Uh, and that's a good thing. We, we must start from where we are. So if, you know, so I, I'm not making a claim that things are great now, right? Like, I'm, I'm careful in my piece to talk about the problems with our carceral system, for instance, uh, and not just in the quantity of people that we incarcerate, but the quality of prisons, uh, for example. Right, that, like That's a disaster, but it's also a disaster that has has gotten way better in terms of the number of people there than most people would predict if you asked them on the street. Right? People are systematically ignorant of the progress that we've made just in my lifetime. And I'm not saying we're doing better now than we, we, we were doing in 1969 and, oh, isn't that great, I'm saying we're doing much better now than we were in 2001, in 2000, you know? <laughs> and you're optimistic. I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that all of those trends are likely to continue getting better. Uh, out of wedlock births in the family. Um, yeah, the, so the, the proportion of, of births that are out of wedlock uh, has stagnated. It's at like, 70%. It's, it's at 70%, very high. I mean, what's there um, to be optimistic about? Excuse me. but Really? Again, so I'm not claiming that on every indicator it's gone in the right direction. Right. So that's that's troublesome for sure. Um, however, there are other reasons to be optimistic just in the realm of birth. So like the birth rate for teenage black women is down 63 percent since 2002, since 2001, sorry. It's down so for white
1: women as well, right? Down for white women as well, yes. Abortion um, is also down, but the black rate is still right. very much higher. That's right. So again, but this is this
2: comes down to the difference between the gap lens and the past lens, I call it, right? So if we're going to compare black women perpetually to white women and measure progress by the degree to which they've closed a the gap, we're bumping against a few problems. One is that, White women had a head start in, in virtually every way you could think of. So you know if yeah, I, th- I think I, you know w- why are we, why are we not measuring black women today against black women two decades ago on these metrics? Why are we implicitly assuming that white women are some kind of default or objective standard by which to measure black women against? White women have their own particular history, their own sociological characteristics that make it, I think, less useful to compare them to, to, to other groups of people. I mean, I, like when we're, if we're talking
1: about progress. I'm sorry, Coleman, I don't know what I don't know what your, mo- your conceptual model is here. The, the just sort of common sense uh, reaction I have to what you're saying is the reason I'm doing the comparison is because I think there are things that are changing for everybody, and that accounts for the fact that both series are down. But I think there are things that are different for African-Americans, and that that is reflected in the fact that when I compare blacks to whites, I see a gap. Right, but why not blacks What's, to Hispanics or
2: blacks to Asians? Why whites?
1: Well, I mean... I'm thinking that race has something to do with what's going on. And I think when I'm comparing black to whites, I'm focusing in on the differential treatment and opportunities that are afforded to these groups. It's, it's a crude focus to be sure, but um, it's uh, nevertheless uh, uh, somewhat informative about the different uh, experiences. I could compare blacks to Asians. I could compare blacks to Hispanics, if I compare blacks to Asians, I'm going to get one kind of outcome. If I compare blacks to Hispanics, I'm going to get a different one. But a, but I'm, I'm comparing them to whites because I'm aware of the fact that um, in the long history of uh, race relations in the United States, that's a, that's a salient comparison. It's telling me something indirectly, not directly and not conclusively, but suggestively about racial discrimination, about differences in racial opportunity.
2: I mean, I, I think it's so much more complicated. I, I think it's, so it's far too complicated to, to, to make that assumption. So for for example, you, you, you don't example, think I'm? Oh, I'm sorry. Go here. For example, uh, during the Bush years, the, incars- the 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 number of white people in prison climbed, while the number of black people in prison uh, declined. Um, if you were if you were comparing, like like why is that? That's a very interesting question, right? We we're putting more and more white people in prison throughout the first decade of the, of the, of the 21st century and fewer and fewer black people in prison. Um, you know, that, that's a very interesting question, but to presume the the thinking that says we ought to be comparing blacks to whites specifically, because whatever is happening to whites is sort of to be expected and, and we can measure something meaningful, uh, by comparing black people to that sort of to be expected, no, I, think,
1: I think it's a straw man you got here. Let me compare blacks to people who are not black. Most of whom, most of them are going to be whites. I don't have just have to compare blacks to whites. I'm going to get the same answer if I compare blacks to non-blacks, aren't I? Basically, um, n- not necessarily. I mean, well, what? no. I'm just it's just arithmetic. I'm saying uh, whites are what 70, 75 percent. Of, of, uh, I mean, it depends on the cohort, the age and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I compare blacks to non-blacks and I compare blacks to whites, uh, my, uh, my denominator hasn't changed that much. Most of the people who are non-blacks are white. I don't think there's a whole lot of traction in the distinction that you're making about why compare them to whites. <clears throat> I think we're going to get pretty much the same, uh, the same, uh, answer. And so there's that. Who do we compare them to? There's also optimism. I mean, the levels.
2: Sorry, there's, well, okay, but I mean, what's there to be optimistic about? I I do want to, I do want to press on this point of comparing blacks to whites, because why, why don't we do this in all the realms that black people are already doing better? There are a dozen diseases from various cancers to liver disease that white people are already more likely to die from than black people, white people more likely to commit suicide than
1: blacks. Okay. Um, so, so that so those are interesting facts, right? It's yeah, not- we can do that. I'm, I'm not against doing that. There are, right. I didn't. I, I don't claim that blacks are doing worse than whites across every possible arena that one could look at. i I'm, I'm trying to defend the idea that there's information in comparing uh, trends for blacks and whites, and not just comparing blacks of 2019 to the blacks of 1969. What information? Exactly. Uh, crudely. An indication of the differential opportunities afforded people who were in the different racial groups or the different background experiences and, quote, privileges and um, encumbrances affecting people in those groups. I mean, for example, um, I I often point out uh, to people who are complaining about young black men and unarmed being shot by police officers that young white men who are unarmed are also shot by police officers. Uh, in fact, a shot at uh, not quite as high a rate, but at a pretty high rate. And when you consider that there are more of them, the absolute number of them who were shot by police officers, shot and killed, is greater. And I encourage that uh, that, uh, that comparison is useful in undermining claims of uh, Black people being treated differently. Uh, am I violating your, uh, your uh, stricture of not comparing Blacks to whites when I do that? It seems to me that I'm actually bringing... In this case, well, negative they, information about discrimination. I look at the whites and it just show that the blacks would, who are getting shot are not being shot because they're black.
2: They would, they would just retort that you're looking at absolute numbers rather than proportions. And they would want to look at proportions and say that, you know, black people are 13 percent of the population, but 27 percent of those who get killed. Therefore, that actually redounds to my point. You know, th- this is them talking. Um, you know, well, well, it should be 13 and those percentages should be the same, so they would want to compare blacks to whites. They would just. Well, want in fact, to compare, the percentages, abortion.
1: as you know, excuse me, Coleman, they are the same once you control for other non-racial factors that influence sure. the encounter between the police and the citizen. This, anyway, is what Roland Fryer found in Houston. But he's still comparing blacks to whites. That's my point. My right. point is, comparing and doing the comparison in the right way gives me information about differential racial treatment. It's possible to do the comparison in the wrong way, but if you do the comparison in the white way, looking at what happens to blacks and whites controlling for other factors is surely informative about the differences in the experiences of blacks and whites in the society.
2: I'm not persuaded because I see, I, I see too many examples where, like, with that point of view, where, where white people are doing worse and worse on some metric that black people are doing better and better at. And I don't know what information that gives me on, on this paradigm. So if we're holding the paradigm constant, what do I make of the fact that the, you know, the trend line for, for heart disease has been coming down much faster for black people than for white people? I don't know what to make of that. I, you know, I don't know what to make of the distance between blacks and whites across the board, because it seems like the story is going to be different in every individual case. It and would I, maybe. I, I'm tempted to just. If I, want to, if I want to be a sociologist and study, you know, why do black people get cancer and how many of them are getting cancer? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? It's not clear to me that I'm getting that much information by comparing the blacks, blacks to whites, rather than looking at blacks themselves and doing an isolated analysis. Those are,
1: those are not our only choices. We can compare blacks to whites in a sophisticated and not a crude way. For example, And I know nothing about the public health issues with cardiac, cardiological disease and so forth. But I would observe that uh, there could be diminishing returns so that it's easy to make gains when you have a relatively high base. And as you get further down that curve, it becomes harder and harder to move lower. So I might see differences in the rates of improvement between blacks and whites against the backdrop where blacks and whites are basically having the same structure, -hmm. It's just because blacks and whites are at different points on a curve where there's diminishing returns. That's I just made that up. I don't know if it's true or not, but it could be true. It's possible, yeah. But it's not even possible to investigate such a a possibility without allowing me to compare blacks with whites. Can can I give another example to
2: defend? Can I give one more example? Okay, so if you look at the the juvenile delinquent statistics for white people and for Asian Americans, what you find in the past twenty years. is that they've both been coming down, which is great news, but the Asian stats have been coming down faster so that if you compare whites and Asians uh, you know, two decades ago to, to whites and Asians today, you find that the gap has widened, right? My, my point is that the gap having widened doesn't tell me why the gap has widened. It doesn't tell me that the gap widening has anything to do with race or racism or institutional racism or disparate treatment. It's, it's really just the fact that I've chosen my benchmark to be Asians in this particular case. And so the gap has widened, but I I don't know why. I would have to presuppose the the very thing I'm trying to prove in order for me to say that the, the distance and the change in, in the difference is meaningful. Right? And doesn't that hold true for blacks and whites as well?
1: Yes. I, I interpret what you're saying as simplistic, stick figure cross racial comparisons are not particularly informative about the question at hand, which is is discrimination worse or better than it was years ago? Do blacks have equal opportunity and so forth and so on? I agree with that. It's not stick
2: figure because people do it all the time. I mean, well, it is a
1: stick figure. Yeah. But, but I'm, it's not a straw man in the sense that. No, no, I, I didn't mean to yeah. accuse you of that. Okay. What I meant to do is to defend the, uh, on methodological grounds, the utility of comparing whites and blacks uh, with respect to a variety of social indicators, just as, for example, Roland Fryer does when he does that study of police behavior in Houston. Mm-hmm. He is comparing whites to blacks in that study. Mm-hmm. There's no other way that he can get an estimate of the, uh, in this case, negative finding about racial discrimination without making that comparison. So the, the comparison in itself can't be ruled out a priori, although one may point to particular uses of the comparison as being illegitimate for methodological or uh, other reasons, tendentious. The person is really just trying to make a point. They're not trying to give an apt description of the overall social circumstance. That I agree with, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to hold on <laughs> as best I can To a tried and true, uh, you know, practice in the social sciences of using race as something on the explanatory side of my equation. And every time I put in a dummy variable for is the uh, respondent black into some statistical study, I'm comparing blacks either to whites or to non-blacks. I'm doing that comparison as a question of how I do it. And I apologize. I think this is my phone ringing. But not anymore. I apologize for that. Um, oh, I just want to ask you about some other areas because, uh, you know, I've been giving this lecture, uh, the 75th anniversary of uh, Gunnar Myrdal's uh, great uh, study, An American Dilemma, is uh, upon us. It came out in 1944. This is the massive two-volume work by the Swedish economist, a subsequent Nobel laureate, the late Gunnar Myrdal, uh, who comes to the United States at the invitation of the Carnegie Corporation, uh, puts together a team, gathers data all over the country, and writes the definitive account of the social, economic, political uh, uh, position of, quote, the Negro, uh, close quote, at, mid, uh, at mid-century. So the 75th anniversary is upon us, and it occasions a reflection on where are we with respect to the American dilemma. So I've got this lecture that I've been giving. And in the lecture, I present these data uh, – I don't claim this to be at all comprehensive, but just a kind of overview in which I look at a series of indicators of social status. Um, it's true that blacks are better educated today than they were 50 years ago. The line goes up, college degree. The line for whites also goes up, and the gaps is substantial. I could use a, a number of other uh, outcome measures to the same effect. Poverty is down. Poverty is down for everybody from the mid-1960s to, the, you know, to where we are today. Uh, it's down for blacks and it's down for whites. The gap has actually shrunk in terms of poverty rates, but there's still a gap. It's still pretty substantial. It doesn't show any tendency toward going to zero. Um, if I look at measures of uh, cognitive development and educational attainment, uh, as, for example, chronicled by the National Assessment of Educational Progress, which, as you probably know, is an a examination that's delivered, that's given every year to a sample of American uh, students at the 4th, 8th, and 12th grade, I see very substantial gaps uh, between the proportion of test takers who are Black who test out at a uh, basic proficiency or above basic proficiency level, uh, big gaps between those and uh, whites and and Asians, and in some cases, even Hispanics out-testing Blacks. And when I say... Below basic proficiency, I can be talking about a third, 40% of the test takers who are African-American, depending on the year and the grade level, who are testing below proficiency. So now let me set aside the race comparison issue and just talk about the optimism question. With seven in 10 children born to an African-American woman born to a woman without a husband present, with um, a third... Two-fifths of African-American students, depending on the year and the grade, testing at below basic proficiency and the kind of cognitive functioning, reading and mathematics that everybody needs in order to flourish in the 21st century. What the heck is there to be optimistic about? Um, If your point is, let's not follow the race mongers who are constantly harping about how blacks lag behind because they're tendentious and they're not really giving us an accurate account, I'm with you 100%. If your point, however, is please let's relax with all this business about blacks not doing so well because blacks are doing just fine. Thank you. I ain't, I ain't buying that, man. I mean, I I think my point
2: is neither. Um, my point, my point is the, the tone in which black America is discussed is at least to my ear, sort of, It's gloomy to an extent that is different than any other group in America, right? Even where blacks and Hispanics, say, have similar statistics on social indicators of well-being, I tend to hear Hispanics, if I hear them discussed at all, discussed as a group that is, you know, on balance thriving and has problems to deal with. And I want black people to be discussed more in that tone rather than as sort of one massive problem, a group that is generally thriving, but has some serious problems to, to, to solve. Right. So, and you know, I, I, okay. I, I do view the statistics we choose. I mean, I, I view the whole conversation right now as cherry picked in, in in a sense. so, you know, I'm not trying to give a, a, complete sort of textbook style presentation of evidence here. I'm trying to intervene in what I view as, as a conversation that's already skewed towards the negative with some important positive trends that don't get talked about, you okay. know? So like, like, like the, the statistic, when the federal reserve releases a report saying over 60% of black people say they're doing better financially than their parents, that stat gets, Buried as soon as it comes out, it, like nobody takes an interest in it to the degree that people take an interest in in the seventy percent, uh, 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 you know, out of wedlock birth rate. And I'm saying both are important, uh, but, but we only treat the the latter as if it's important, and thus we get a picture of Black America that is systematically skewed towards the negative, and that is destined to be forever skewed so long as we continue seeing white people as the uh, standard against which to measure Black outcomes. I, I, in, in my piece, I give a, a sort of simple abstract thought experiment where you have a button that doubles the amount of everything good, wealth, life expectancy, for each racial group. And I get it.
1: I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, man, but I get it. Come on, the gap's yeah. going to be bigger if I double everybody... And you're behind. Now you're going to be twice as far behind after the doubling, but you've, that's you're right. twice as well off in absolute terms. See, so that. yeah,
2: my, my my point there is, and and that's this is actually not a hypothetical. This is actually, um, so so like I mentioned earlier, the seventy-two percent decline in the incarceration rate for black men age eighteen to nineteen between two thousand one and two thousand seventeen. I see that stat and I think, well, that that's that's great news. It's obviously not the full picture of. of it's not the only thing you need to know about the criminal justice system, of course, but it's amazing news that that very few people know about. However, if you instead look at that same data, but instead of comparing black boys, really, you know, young men today to black young men yesterday, you instead compare blacks to whites at both times, it actually looks like a negative trend. It looks like black uh, teenagers, nine times more likely to be incarcerated compared to whites in 2001, and now 12 times more likely to be incarcerated than white men because it happens that that demographic for white men went down faster as a proportion of itself. Um, So my, my point there is, in principle, almost infinite progress that black people make can be erased given sufficient white progress or can become invisible rather Given sufficient white progress, if you are only paying attention to gaps, and the, the paying attention to gaps is the default mode of analysis uh, on the issue of, of, of race of race right now.
1: Okay, look, let me grant you your critique of a certain rhetorical practice of trumpeting African American victimization by trying to portray the plight of the people in the least flattering terms, that on the left, and of denigrating African Americans for whatever the reasons are that might lead a person on the right to talk about uh, the terrible uh, neighborhoods in which black people live in cities that are bereft of uh, you know any kind of decency and so forth and so on. Let me, let me stipulate that that rhetorical practice deserves the criticism that you've leveled at it. I want to circle back to the question about optimism. The case for black optimism, I see a house on fire. No, maybe not quite that. I see uh, people in desperate straits, not most black Americans, but a substantial minority of African-Americans. I do think that Elijah Cummings district in uh, Baltimore is a disaster. Nobody should want to live in a place like that. I think there are a lot of African-Americans who cower inside their homes, fearful that a gunshot sprayed randomly on the street will lead a bullet through their wall in their bedroom and end up killing them in their sleep. Um, Again, I point to the uh, 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 inadequate development of the intellectual potential of a very substantial portion of the African-American population as attested to by uh, such as, uh, evidence is at hand about how, uh, how well these people function. Uh, I look at the elite universities. Affirmative action hangs by a thread. Harvard managed to win in the district court. I predict that they will not prevail in the Supreme Court if, where this case is headed, but we'll see on affirmative action. Life or death for African America, because after all, without affirmative action, how would blacks get admitted to Columbia, the few uh, uh, who might... Uh, uh, compete effectively against the uh, very most talented youngsters who would be applying? Sure. But the numbers would go from 12% or whatever they are down to 6% or 4% or whatever they would be. We could do a simulation of that. There would be a significant hit. Um, this does not look like everything is okay to me. This does not look like something to be optimistic about. And then let me just add, and I'm sorry for going on so long, I'll stop. When I listen to the popular rhetoric coming out of the intellectuals, the pundits, the, uh, the, the elite class, uh, the commentators, the academics, and whatnot about the situation. I get um, the kind of uh, babble, the kind of nonsense, excuse me, but I'll just speak straightly, that I read from the likes of Ta Nehisi Coast. There's nothing wrong with Black America that ending white supremacy wouldn't fix. From the likes of Ibrahim Kendi and so forth and so on. Uh, I, I see people who call attention to the cultural failings plaguing some part of our community. They exist. Those cultural failings exist, okay? Kids who are being taught the wrong values about how to function in the society and dismissing it with the back of their hand and daring anybody to say anything about it and so on and so forth. Mm. So, so optimism, I mean, I, you know, so there, that's where I'm coming from, uh, Coleman. We've, we're done with the arguments about demography and statistics, and we're on to the larger narrative about how well is black America actually doing? Mm. Not as badly as the uh, victim mongers would have it be, but not so well, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So I want to
2: sharply distinguish between the 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 uh, position that everything is okay, uh, which it's not, and what I'm saying. I'm I'm really I'm really talking about the direction of uh you know the majority of indicators of well being as they've been in the past decades and what we can sort of expect for the future. I'm not saying everything is okay. Everything is not okay. Uh, and I think um, all of the things that you pointed to as not being okay, I would agree are the places that we ought to zero in on for improvement. Um, and there's obvious, there's an obvious logic to pointing out the problems rather than the things that are going well in that, the problems are precisely the things you want to spend most of the time talking about so that you might solve them. Um, It it kind of seems gratuitous or or trivial to spend all day talking about uh, how all the things that are not, that don't need to be fixed. Right. Um, On the other hand, I think there is a danger uh, to, to spending too much to, to exclusively focusing on the problems. Uh, out of context of the bigger picture of how things for most people most of the time are getting better, including black people. And, uh, that is, why is it that the, the, the left is right now, for example, so susceptible, susceptible to the, the idea of reparations? Yeah. Um, so, so susceptible to the idea of quote unquote burning the system down, whatever exactly the system means. Um, I think part of that is a consequence of the the habit that both sides of of the political spectrum have of only talking about the negative components. Um, so, like when everyone agrees that Black America is is something close to a disaster, and they disagree on what is causing it, uh, that makes that makes it much more plausible. When someone comes in and says, well, what we, what we need to do is we need to fundamentally reorient all of these systems um, so that, you know, because they're all just infused with white supremacy, right? That Part of why that is, is compelling is because all of us, including pe- people in the center and on the right, have habitually zeroed in on the problems out of context of, the general upward moving tide um, so that yeah I mean you, you said at the beginning like part part of my motivation is political well sure yeah you know I, I do think I, I do think that um, I, I don't think it's an accident that the people saying that uh, the criminal justice system is is racist front to back that we need to turn things upside down with reparations uh, we need to have these massive top-down policies uh, that fundamentally reorient, uh, you know, systems that have been in place for decades or centuries.
1: And by the I way, if I, I if I may, I just want people to know it's white people who've been saying these things. It's that's Elizabeth Warren whom you quote. Correct. The criminal system is the justice system is racist from front to back, and it's white presidential candidates as well as black who've been out there saying that they think reparations at least should be investigated. And so, on.
2: yeah. I I don't think that it's an accident that progressives tend to be pessimists on on these fronts in the sense that I think the pessimism is a necessary feature of their political prescriptions, right? Like if things, if, if the systems we have imperfect flawed as they are, are nevertheless doing well by most black people most of the time and are Making marginal improvements over time, then burning these systems down will clearly hurt black people uh, uh, in the general case um, so yes part of part of part of the reason I feel moved to intervene in the debate is because I've seen how the pessimistic rhetoric has laid the groundwork for massive progressive policies that uh, that represent in my view um, a kind of I don't a, a kind of um a program that is is not that doesn't represent the path forward for black people uh or America in general and that m- seems much more about uh, I mean it uh, as you say I'm quoting a lot of white liberals here white democrats Seems more about signaling the degree to which they understand that Black America has been destroyed by white supremacy, right? And to the to the to the extent that we emphasize the 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 evidence of the the destruction over and over again, we give more power and plausibility to that narrative.
1: Okay, I I want to make a suggestion. Uh, You can see what you think of it. Um, Finding an area of public policy where the consequences of the uh, pessimism and mischaracterization uh, along the lines that you've outlined is is, uh, uh, the negative consequences of that for Black people is especially stark. And I think one candidate for that uh, area is in policing and law enforcement. Uh, and the so-called Ferguson effect, Uh, I'm not here trying to uh, resolve the issue. It's debatable. There's a lot of uh, pro and con back and forth in the data and so forth and so on. But the bottom line would be in reaction against the perception that law enforcement, as Elizabeth Warren would have it, is racist from front to back, there's been uh, a number of developments which have resulted in a pulling back of the intensity of law enforcement in areas of American cities that are uh, heavily black populated and that are also uh, dangerous and uh, susceptible to criminal offending. Uh, the cops are pulling back. This is a stipulation of uh, the Ferguson effect. Uh, uh, anti-law and order uh, officials, district attorneys and others, I say anti-law and order, that's what the police are saying. The police are saying that some of these reformist DAs that have been elected around the country are Uh, inhibiting the ability of law enforcement to keep people safe and so on and so on. Uh, I saw, I've seen this uh, paper and working paper draft that uh, Roland Fryer has put out from his research lab uh, where they've analyzed the effect of um, uh, federal investigations of local police departments on subsequent criminal offending. And they found that uh, the tendency is that crime goes up in cities after the police have been investigated because the police are pulling back in the intensity of their surveillance and engagement. And who's hurt by that? Black people are hurt by that. I'll stop because I'm not giving you you or anybody else a fair opportunity to assess the things I'm saying. I'm saying, however, that there is an area where one could look and it would strengthen, it seems to me it would strengthen this argument uh, greatly, this argument about optimism. And one could look and say, see, the pessimists are having their way over here. They control the narrative and they've taught us that things are all uh, negative. The consequence of that has been in fact, more African American homicide, more African American victimization, lower quality of life for African American people in certain districts, and so on. What do you think about that?
2: No, I mean I think that's 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 a clear example. If true, and it's plausible, um, that the, the over the overreaction to what is a, a de- certainly a re- regrettable circumstance, namely that um, Americans get killed at the hands of at the hands of the police. Some of those Americans are unarmed, and some of those killings certainly should have ha- should not have happened, and some of those killings probably would not have happened if the person had been of a different skin color. And that's a regrettable circumstance. It's a regrettable circumstance that can be exaggerated and regularly does get exaggerated in terms of um, its scope and its size. Uh, moreover, people rarely ask the question of whether the problem has gotten worse or better in recent decades. All the evidence I've seen suggests that it's gotten much better. And in fact, at the moment that Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson and the Black Lives Matter movement began really flourishing, the problem was, in statistical terms, the best it has ever been in recent memory, which is to say that the trend line had been coming down for decades in terms of how many Black people were getting, uh, getting killed by cops. And right at the bottom point of, of that trend line in, in 2014 – we began seeing videos of it and we had social media and everyone felt that this was, if not a stagnating problem, then a a problem that was getting worse and needed to be dealt with in the, the mood of an emergency. And that's when you get federal investigations. And if it is, if it does turn out to be true, which it could be that police pull back and it turns out the police are there for something, they're preventing something then that would be that would be a case in which uh, the failure to view the 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 problem in its broader context, the over pessimistic focus on harm out of context, ended up causing further harm.
1: Okay, uh, listen. Before we close, I wanted to ask you. I haven't had a chance to talk to you since you testified before the United States Congress. Uh, at hearings on um, the advisability of the Congress undertaking an exploration of whether African-Americans should be paid reparations for uh, historical crimes of slavery and Jim Crow segregation. Um, that was extraordinary that you would have been called to testify. Um, I'm interested in, if you're willing to share, uh, knowing about how you experienced that uh, extraordinary event and what the aftermath of it has been for you.
2: Yeah, I was very reluctant to do it at first. I'm aware that they they called several people before they called me, all of whom couldn't do it. So I was rather deep in the bullpen, so to speak. Um, And I said no at first because I just, um, it seemed like a a great way to destroy my reputation and lower my quality of life for months, (laughs) if not years. So I said no. And then I frankly felt like a coward for saying no.
1: And I didn't want to feel like a coward, so I said yes. Um, and um, and were you right in your prediction about the quality of your life and your reputation?
2: One never gets to run the counterfactual.
1: Um, if I hadn't done it,
2: uh, no, I, I'm I'm doing fine. It was <laughs> it was it was not fun to be shamed on social media to the degree that I was, but um, I'm I'm glad that I did it, and I don't regret it uh, and your viewers can see that on YouTube if they want, uh, just type in Coleman Hughes reparations. It will come up. I'm glad that, I mean, it's an issue I feel passionately about. I wrote a 3000 word essay criticizing the idea of reparations for Colette a few months before I testified, which is why they, someone saw that and and called me. And, um, you know, in the intervening time, I've had a lot of, Uh, opportunities to speak to people who disagreed with me, even people who have just come up to me on the subway and started (laughs) lecturing me. Um, And I, you know, I, I, I I still, I think that it's very much a mistake. I think my, my primary, I mean, I have many pragmatic and, uh, many pragmatic arguments against reparations Um, much of the the way people talk about it the shifting definitions of it um the way in which people equate it with other reforms that are important but have nothing to do with reparations per se all of it seems like the opposite of what i would advise someone who's trying to make black people better off um
1: yeah, yeah, we don't have time to but review we the issue in depth. It, but. Perhaps we can have another conversation down the, down the line. I'm going to be teaching yeah. about this stuff, uh, in the next uh, few weeks. So I might come back to you about that, but I do want sure. people to know, uh, that you were up there with the likes of Tanahasi Coates, uh, Dr. Julianne Malvo. I can't remember who else was on that panel and you held your own, brother. Thank you. You did great. You did great. I was proud of you. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. <laughs> You're welcome, Coleman. So we'll (laughs) sign off for now and talk again at some point. Uh, Thanks a lot for, uh, for coming on the Glenn Show, Coleman.
2: Anytime.